You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Getting in the Word. What a day, what a privilege it is to join together with you. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We are excited to have you, and it is a true blessing that you are joining us today. So I pray that you'll be blessed, encouraged, and challenged in your walk with the Lord. And for those that are returning, we love you, and we appreciate your faithfulness to the channel, your support, and it's always a great blessing. I'm truly blessed by you all. And so Thank you for being here. It's always a, a great privilege. Uh, just a reminder, uh, as we continue to pursue uh, uh, the support of our dear friend, uh, Pastor Gideon, and uh, if you did not see the um, opportunity to give to Gideon's need there in Africa as he's church planting, we want to uh, just make that known again this morning. As we get started, you're welcome to give uh, he is trying to raise money there in Africa to provide for his new church plant. And uh, it's just one way that we as um, a group can serve and uh, and be a part of, of what God is doing there. And and uh, this is an, is an extension of Family Bible Fellowship. And uh, we as the elders at Family Bible Fellowship felt it would be a great blessing uh, to uh, help Pastor Gideon and uh and encourage those online to help give since Gideon is such an integral part of our ministry here at Getting in the Word as he teaches on Wednesdays. This will be a great opportunity for all of us to participate and pitch in a little bit to help him as he as he tries to buy chairs and paint and some other materials like the pulpit and things like that that he'll need for the proclamation of the gospel. And he has been faithful he has been true to the proclamation of the gospel, and it's a true blessing to partner with him. Love the man. He's a great, great brother in the Lord, and we're so grateful for him. So if you would consider that, uh, I would love for you to um, think about contributing to his needs. So we are grateful. We trust the Lord that he'll provide that. There was a, a good hit yesterday of uh, faithful givers. I think there was around $600 maybe that was raised. So that's great. We're getting close. But anyways, we are now back in on Thursday. Today we're going to finish our study in the book of Jonah, and what a blessing it is. This has been a real challenging message, I think, for all of us, because in some sense, in some way, we've all, like Jonah, have run from what God has called us. We've been known to be those runaway Christians, so to speak. And so my prayer is that we'll continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ that we'll be more faithful as we as we start this new year and accomplishing all that God has called us to. It's certainly a blessing, and uh, I, I've truly learned a lot. So I've entitled the message today, Jonah's Delusion. Let me pray, and we'll jump right in. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the privilege of prayer and how we have, grant, have you granted us access through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we come to you, Father, through the Son, we ask that you would bless this time, that you would use this message, not just for information, but transformation, God, that you would use your word to sanctify us in your truth. And so help me to proclaim your truth with boldness for your glory. And we ask these things in this time in the precious 
name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Well, if you don't know, this message series, the book of Jonah, was preached in 2012. I taught this message in 2012, this series. Um, and uh, as I preached this last session of Jonah, I can't help but be reminded of the issues that are still riding even to today. As you know, we're looking at 10 years later. Um, it's interesting because when people hear this, they think many times I'm just, you know, cherry picking the culture. Well, the reality is this sermon was preached tw in 2012, and yet it is still relevant for today, and maybe even more relevant for today, especially when we look back at the call to repentance and how Nineveh needed to repent against their sin, and boy, how much of America needs to repent of what they've done and how they've offended a holy and righteous God. And so the reality is, if you were to ask me, uh, the, there is an increasing number of issues in our day. We've looked at this prophet Jonah for six weeks. Now, here's the deal. While preaching on average of 45 minutes to an hour with six sermons, I've spent almost 270 minutes, which is about four and a half hours of teaching. I've spent a total of six weeks averaging five days a week looking into the book of Jonah. And out of those five days on average, I spent about three hours studying the book of Jonah and researching. That's about 18 hours a week that's put into these messages on Jonah. And so we have 108 hours studying Jonah and four and a half more delivering the message, totaling 112 hours just for these six messages in the book of Jonah. And I've spent a total of four and a half days studying Jonah. Now, the question is, did I grow weary? Did I go tired? No. Why? Because I've only scratched the surface on Jonah. I know there's plenty that I've missed, great opportunities to teach from this book, but God's Word is so alive. It's just so amazing how many teachings lay within the covers of the book. And I hope that you've enjoyed this series, this preaching on Jonah. I hope that you've enjoyed the, the preaching on getting in the Word, and I hope it has encouraged you and challenged you and caused you to desire and drive to be transformed and renewed as you continue to walk with the Lord. And I hope whoever is teaching you, listen, on Sundays, wherever you are, whether it's me, whether it's one of your pastors, whether it's an elder, I want you to take that teaching and try your best to trust in Christ and apply the messages to your life. Listen, you may not have the greatest preacher in your church. That's not what he's designed to do. He's designed to be a faithful preacher. And his word will not return void, my friends. So I don't want to just preach a good informational message. I want to see a change in people's lives. I want the message that's taught to be a transformational message. I want to see lives changed. And listen, the reality is, is here, even just on getting in the Word, I've seen many lives that have changed. I've seen people who who have just grown spiritually, leaps and bounds, and others maybe not so much so at this point. But nevertheless, I want to encourage you to listen closely to the messages that are being preached. I desire for you to take notes and to bring your Bibles to the study at 9 a.m. 
and follow along. And when you're not able to get online, go back and listen to them because they are vitally important. And when you walk out of the doors of your church or when you leave from the face of your phone or when you step back from the computer screen as you listen to this message, my desire is that you, for the rest of this year and the remainder of your lives, allow the Spirit of God to transform your life so that you can walk closer, that you can be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And the Lord will, listen, begin to use you. He will begin to heal you. He will begin to make you into the man and woman of God that He has created you to be, that He might get the glory. And so you may have made mistakes in your life. All of us have. And granted, if you haven't, you will. And if you have, we worship a God of mercy and grace. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know how you found the channel. I don't know how you got here, but I do know this, that there is a God in heaven, and he loves you. And he loves you so much that he sent his one and only son. That's not confusing. There's not multiple Jesuses. There is one Christ. God, the Father, sent God, the Son, to die for you. He loves you. He cares for you. And you need to trust in him. You need to trust in him because, listen, we've all made mistakes. The Bible says we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, the Scripture says, no, not one. And the reality is, is our sins have made a separation between us and our God, Isaiah 59, 2. You've made mistakes in your life. And we worship a God that is full of grace and mercy. The book of Jonah portrays that God is a compassionate God. He is not a God who just sits up there and casts down fire and brimstone. He does do that. But that is not typically the characteristics which we see of God. We see a God of grace and a God of mercy. But I promise you, my friends, one day he will come back and he will pour out his pure flaming wrath and justice of Almighty God on all those who do not believe the gospel, who have not obeyed the gospel, and he will bring down judgment. But he is also a God who will extend his grace and mercy to those that repent. That process starts first with yourself. God, he had mercy on Nineveh. That's a lot of people. The people, listen, were known for their brutality, their violence, and their wicked ways. And you may be sitting here this morning going, I can't be saved. I can't be saved. Stop it. That's the, that's the enemy, my friend. No, if God can deliver a man like Saul, who persecuted Christians, who said, I, could, I, should, I, could, I, I did everything I could to oppose the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. He, 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 was, he cast his vote against them when they were condemned to death. Listen, if God can save Paul and use Paul, Saul, turn him to Paul, and he can write 13 books of the New Testament, how dare us think that we are too far gone? No, God can use you. And God will use you for his glory if you will repent and believe the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Get out from under that bad teaching. Get out from under that philosophical, cultural Christianity of the day, this Eastern mysticism that has leaked into the body of Christ. Get out, open your Bible, and allow the Spirit of God to work through the Word of God to transform your heart, my friend.
These people were known for their brutality, violence, and wicked ways, and God had mercy and relented against them. The wrath that he had said he was going to accomplish. We're going to look into the life of this man, Nineveh, and to this roller coaster Christianity as we watch his emotions maneuver up and down, good and bad, happy and sad, joyful and angry. This roller coaster ride, listen, started out with life seemingly calm and maybe even with a steady climbing of being God's prophet, God's man. But as we peek into the first chapter of Jonah, we see God speaking, and the roller coaster is still climbing. God shocks Jonah with the unthinkable task. Go to Nineveh, cry out against them. And so now the roller coaster, having reached its peak, Jonah is aware of the problem that lies ahead, and the roller coaster begins to descend down into a powerful manner. He said, go to Nineveh, cry against it. But Jonah doesn't like the people of Nineveh. Does that sound familiar? Listen, it's very important you be reminded that this is not your home. This is not your kingdom. And God has created every single soul that's ever lived on the face of this earth, and he loves his creation. And God has compassion on whom he has compassion. And many times the enemy becomes our enemy, and we hate the enemy, and God calls us to love our enemies. Jonah doesn't like the people of Nineveh. He wants nothing to do with these people to get saved. He doesn't want them to have the chance to repent and turn back to God. He wants them to be destroyed because of their wickedness. And so at the realization that he has been the one chosen to deliver the message to cry against Nineveh. He begins a fast descent on the roller coaster ride of emotions. He goes down to Joppa. He gets on a boat and he goes in the opposite direction of where God has called him to go. And he gets on this boat. He goes down into the bottom of the boat and he lays down and he goes to sleep trying his best to get away and to hide from God. Culturally, there they thought in that day and age that the, the, the under the ocean, God wasn't present. But little did they know God is omnipresent. You can't run from God. But Jonah tried his best to run from God. And the storms come, and now he's brought down even deeper within him. And the only way he can fix the problem is to go down even further. And so by now, the roller coaster ride has picked up speed, and he is descending downward more than Jonah has seen yet. And he tells these men, throw me overboard. And they did just when they think the ride would begin an upward descent. Jonah goes lower. Jonah's cast into the sea, and he sinks downwards into the most deepest part of the sea, into the roots and in the mountains, and then he's swallowed up by a great fish. And in that belly of the fish, when he has that as lowest, as low can low could go, the point, the pressure so hard, we finally see Jonah leveling out by starting to pray. And now the roller coaster ride begins to come back up. 
He prays, and what does God do? He shows him mercy and grace, and God delivers him. And, and now God, after he spits him out onto dry land, he begins a second time, giving him another chance to do what he has told him to do the first time. Proclaim the proclamation, Jonah, which I have given you to Nineveh. And so what does Nineveh do this time? He, in his faithfulness and obedience, does what God had called him to do. They responded well, didn't they? They repented. They relented. It began with the people. They heard that God was going to pour out his wrath and judgment. It began with the people. And they repented. And when the leaders, when the king caught news, he then moved on to repent. But it began with the people. Listen, transformation and revival begins with you. In me, it doesn't begin up down, it begins down up because God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the wise. So Jonah is now on a rise going up. He is about to reach the top again, and there is about to be a, a major change in this emotional roller coaster ride within the life of Jonah. And this downward descent that Jonah, uh, that, 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 that is inside of Jonah is where our passage begins today. So we find ourselves in the final section of Jonah, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Let's read together. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? We get a little insight, don't we, of the heart behind Jonah's decision to go to Joppa. Therefore, in order to forestall, I fled to where? Tarshish. Opposite direction, my friends. For he says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in love and kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And the Lord said, Do you have a good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city, and he said, Eat of it. And there he made a shelter for himself, and he set it under it, its shade, until, it, until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant to grow up over Jonah, to be a shade over his head, to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant, but God appointed a worm. And when dawn came the next day, it attacked the plant, and it withered. And when the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all of his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant, which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city 
for which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left hand, as well as many animals. Powerful passage of Scripture, my friends. Three things I, that I want you to get from this portion of Scripture. The first thing that I want you to see is that we find, we see the irritation of Jonah. Secondly, we see the isolation of Jonah. And thirdly, we see the issue of Jonah. Let me remind you that Nineveh has repented of their wicked ways, and God has changed his mind and decided not to overthrow them like he said he would. And so he shows mercy and grace. And that brings us to the first point. We see the irritation of Jonah. Notice what it says here in verse 1. It greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning his calamity. Therefore, now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? I want to know why Jonah's angry. Isn't that a good question? Why is Jonah angry? We've seen an evil people that were not godly. Their lives were full of brutality and sin and wickedness and violence, and they've turned and they've repented, and now Jonah becomes irritated. He's angry not only about the circumstances, he's angry with God. It was evil to Jonah that a great evil, you could say, is the evil that God could simply let these people off the hook. Now, if we're not careful, my friends, we'll become Jonah. And every liberal, every non-Christian whom the enemy you claim, you will want them to get what they deserved, and you'll forget the entire time what you deserve. You deserve and I deserve the pure, flaming wrath and justice of God. You and I have listened, broke the law of God. Hatred, my friend, is an evil stronghold. You can't love God and hate someone. It's the very thing that is about to take Jonah down the descent of this emotional roller coaster once again. He's been down there once before, and now he is at the top of great success and faithfulness, and he is looking over the edge at this disaster, and his anger is about to carry him to the bottom once again. There are many, many lessons that we could preach from this passage of Scripture right here this morning. But let me ask you today, how about you this morning? What is it that angers you today? What is it that you 
could carry over the edge and put you into a descending emotional roller coaster. Listen, Jonah hated these people. And his anger towards God is, listen, it's not acceptable. Hear me this morning. I know people may have hurt you. Men and women and mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles and husbands and wives and children and adults. Maybe they haven't hurt you, but maybe they've hurt someone you love. But let me remind you, don't hate these people. Pray for these people. Pray that God would change their hearts so that they would repent and that they would turn back to God and that they would ask for forgiveness. Listen, as your friend, as your pastor, listen, I've been hurt with hurts that still haunt me today. But as every evening I lay down my head, there is not one soul in my body that I hate. I love those people. I pray for those people that mock me, that hate me, that hate you. I pray for them that God would change their hearts, that they would come to know Jesus Christ like I do. Listen, nothing is unforgivable. There is but one judge. And he reminds you, leave room, Romans 12, for the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine, he says, I will repay. Nothing's unforgivable. The only unforgivable sin, my friend, is the rejection of the Holy Spirit unto salvation. You want to know how you can get to heaven? You want to know how you can be saved? Believe the gospel of Jesus Christ the death, the burial, and the resurrection. But not Jonah. In the middle of this irritation, this anger that Jonah has toward God and Nineveh, we can learn a valuable lesson. Listen, angry people. Listen, those that hate. Listen to what this prophet does. Then don't make the same mistake that he does. He prays to the Lord. He prays to the Lord. If you're angry this morning at someone, you better pray about it. Because there is no righteous support for anger like what we see in Jonah. An anger that wishes someone or some people to get what they deserve. No, you pray for the repentance of people, the most hideous criminal can be saved. And anger that wishes someone or some people to get what they deserved is not of God. And for Jonah, it's much more. Maybe you're here and Someone has stolen from you, and you hope they get what they deserve. You cheated on me. I hope you get what's coming to you. You did this awful thing to my child. 
I pray you get what you deserve. I want, I want you to feel the wrath. Well, you fill in the blank. You said this about me behind my back. I will never forgive you. Listen, there is no room in the soul of a Christian for this kind of anger. And when we do feel things, we need to pray. The pressure that Jonah felt the first time caused him to run. But here we see a prayer to God. He desires to make known his concerns and even his anger toward God. Jonah missed a lot. And even while sinning, he gets this right at least. You know, the reality is, is if you find yourself angry about the circumstances for which we find our country, the circumstances for which you find your relationship with your spouse, the, the, if, you, if, you, if you become angry about a circumstance for which you find with your children, the reality is this is God desires for you to approach Him in His throne of grace and prayer. We need to pray for those who hate us. Those that are our enemies. Matthew 5, 44 says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When's the last time you prayed for your enemy? Can I ask you a serious question? When is the last time you prayed that Joe Biden would believe Jesus Christ? When is the last time you prayed that Kamala Harrison would come to know Christ. When is the last time that you prayed for General Flynn to repent of his pagan prayer and put his faith in Jesus Christ? Listen, it's really easy to crucify people and to call them out publicly. It's another thing to seek their salvation from the Lord. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Luke 6, 28, but those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Job 31, 29, if I have rejoiced at my enemy's misfortune or gloated over the trouble that came to him, no, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for his life in a curse. And here's the reality. Romans 12, 19 tells us, Never take our own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You see, we get wrapped up in this world system, and we make this place our home, and we have no thought process about eternity. And we get all engaged in the temporal things of the world and the processes, and yet we forget you and I who are indwelt with the Spirit of God are here to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that your enemy might be saved, that your worst enemy might be born again from above. Listen, if anyone should hold a grudge, it should be these people. Esau should be angry because of what Jacob did. Joseph 
should have had revenged his brothers as, as he was sold into slavery, but he understood what they meant for evil, God used for good. David should have cut more of that shirt tail than, than that shirt tail off of Saul when his life was threatened. Stephen, as he's being stoned to death, cries, Lord, don't hold this sin against them as they laid their coat at the feet of a man named Saul. Paul, he was a man, unsupported and deserted. And what does he say? May it not be held against them. And most of all, my friends, our Savior Jesus Christ. Luke 23, 33-43 reads, When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they know, what, they know not what they are doing. And they cast lights and divided up his garments among themselves. We must pray for those who have hurt us. We must pray for those who are our enemies. Jonah prays and reveals his heart and his anger to God. Please, Lord, he says, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. Jonah wanted to forestall the work God was doing in Nineveh. So much so he wanted them to pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of God. He knew, though, historically, the character of God, that he was gracious, that he was compassionate, that he's slow to anger, he's abundant in loving kindness, and one that relents concerning calamity. Listen, have you ever know, noticed how easy it is to not pray for those that are your enemies? It's commanded. And commands are never to be taken easily because we are prideful people and we want people to get what they deserve. But God's character, my friend, is graciousness. He is compassionate. He's slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. In one that relents concerning calamity. I believe that this God whom Jonah is dealing with is the same God that we are dealing with. The same God we are dealing with. Jonah becomes angry because God's mercy toward an evil people. Compare this to something in our day. We've seen these people whom have decided to uh, attack America. Were they successful in accomplishing their mission? Evil and violence, wickedness at the highest level. 
What is our first response? Attack back. Listen, Jonah was proclaiming 40 days and you will be overthrown, Nineveh. Yes! Hallelujah! Amen! Yes! But he knew something was up. That's why he ran the first time. Jonah wishes that all that is in him for God to overthrow these people. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth mentality. And God didn't see it this way. Jonah says, it better be that I die than to see this happen. Because of this, verse 3, Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? Let me tell you what we have here is a pouting prophet. He is now descending on this roller coaster of emotions. Is there someone in your life that you hate so much that you would you would rather see them die than to see them forgiven? Jonah knows these people and their history. Kill me, Lord. It's better than for me to see you have mercy on their life. What we see is the irritation of Jonah and the anger that has developed. And now, secondly, I want you to see the isolation of Jonah. You know, early in my walk with God, I was, God was dealing with me. And there was a time in which my anger and my sin would cause me to isolate myself. And if, if, if I was not careful, I would catch myself doing it now even. And some of you may be living in isolation. I mean, I can't think of a better opportunity to live in isolation than today because we can just get on our little cell phones or our computers and feel like we have great fellowship with people when we never even have met these people. And so we can be tricked into thinking, oh, I can just live my life here and never out there. And so we find ourselves isolated. Maybe you're thinking of someone right now that, has run off and is living a lonely, isolated life, thinking it's better for them. Some are, of you are maybe trying to separate yourself from your duties, from your families, from your life, and you're from your Bible, and even from yourself. And at the bottom of the barrel, you're really angry with God. Or you think you've done something so bad that you can never get back on track. Now, while I know that uh, the anger of Jonah and the cause of the anger, there are many different reasons for people to be angry with God and to place themselves in isolation. But let me remind you, it will not fix the problem. It may give you temporal satisfaction, but isolation always leads to devastation, my friend. You were not designed to live in isolation. You were designed for koinonia, for fellowship, community. This was God's design for humanity. He says here in verse 5, Then Jonah went out of the city and set east of it. There he made a shelter for himself, and he sat under the shade until he could see what happened in the city. And so the Lord appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to be the shade over his head and delivered him from his discomfort, Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. 
but God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint, and he begged with all of his soul to die, saying, "Better is death is better to me than life. Do you have good reason to be angry? Don't miss that Jonah didn't answer God. Right? Do you have reason? To be angry with God, verse 4. Verse 5, Jonah just gets up and goes. Because you may be tuning out the Lord, and just because you don't respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life, listen, does not mean He's not there. One of the things that's interesting, when we run from God, how insane is it? that we think we can escape the presence of God? Jo- Jonah is well on his way down the emotional roller coaster again. He heads out east from the city to isolate himself from Nineveh. And something at this point caught my eye in observation. It says, and there he made a shelter for himself, and he sat under the shade until he could see what would happen to the city. I mean, did he think his prayer and his pouting was going to change the mind of God to have mercy on Nineveh? Did he think that his isolation and his 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 running away from the reality of God's compassion and mercy was going to trigger a reaction of God to change his character? Listen, as a parent, I see sometimes my own children trying this. No, son, you can't go. What do they do? They go to the corner and they pout. because. And then if you ever notice, they peek over at you. They want to see if you see their pouting. Because in their pouting, they're trying to get you to have pity on them and to give them what they want. I sometimes... See other kids as well, pouting and crying and getting all emotional, stomping around, flipping out in Walmart, hope for an outcome of what they can get. And so what do they say? Stop pouting. Have you ever found this to be true in in your life sometimes? Hey, listen, maybe you haven't been what you have hoped to be at this point in your life. Maybe you haven't because you're not engaged in the work of the Lord. Though this prophet is all messed up right now, he's active, he's proclaiming. How about you? It's one thing to just sit around and pout about the circumstances for which we find ourselves. It's another for for us to be engaged. Here this pouting prophet is watching this city to see what happens. Now I'm not really sure just why, why he is, but it tells us that he's watching and he's sitting under a shaded area that was normally built to protect himself from the sun during the noontime. 
while you were protecting your harvest. But I don't think he's protecting a harvest, but sitting along in isolation while he's watching these people from the east, hoping that God would still change his mind. Maybe he watched to see if they would really repent and that if he would really change and relent against them. And if we're not careful, that's what we'll do. We'll forgive someone, but then we'll watch them like we are God. <laughs> God knows their heart. They could look real good on the outside and still be raging wolves on the inside. The truth is, I don't know what he is doing up on this hill. Why he has run away to the east. But he is in full descent on this roller coaster of emotions, headed down in the wrong direction. Instead of staying there in Nineveh and rejoicing in their repentance, he runs in isolation to pout about it. And so the Lord appoints a plant and grows up over Jonah, give him shade. And so Jonah finds himself extremely happy about the plant. Jonah is not comfortable. He is angry. He is in distress. And while he may have built himself a cover to keep him from the heat of the day, God appointed a plant to grow. And maybe not only to help him from the heat, but maybe from the heat inside that he's boiling with anger. Listen, only you can comfort yourself so much. But God is the one that can heal you from the inside out. Throughout Jonah, we, we see this, this being personified. I think is what you, you would call personification in figures of speech, the storm, the ship, the great fish. This very plant has grown up. Everything is obeying God, all but Jonah. And just like God appoints the plant, and it seems to lift his spirits to make him happy, put him back on an ascending direction of this emotional roller coaster heading up, and now he's happy, extremely happy. But God, whom is sovereign, is all about teaching lessons over this reality for which he is on, not only sovereign over the plant, he's sovereign over the worm whom obeys him and attacks the plant that he did, that he created, and it dies. God sends the scorching wind, doesn't he? And here Jonah once again starts down the roller coaster of emotions. As this plant that made Jonah happy is now withered. God's not finished, though. God then appoints this scorching east wind and sun beats down on his head until this pouting prophet is ultimately about to faint. And we begin to hear from Jonah again as he begged with all of his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. L let me just stop here. Death is never better than life. That is a lie from the devil himself. Death is never better than life. Death is a result of sin. Death is a result of the fall. And the joy that we have in Jesus Christ is that he has conquered death. 
And for those that are his children, those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ, we have hope of eternal life. Now, to die is gain, yes, for the Christian. This plant, listen, brought Jonah joy. And now God is about to teach him a lesson. Listen, your isolation will only cause you to focus on yourself. Oh, poor pitiful me. Life's so bad, I just want to die. Everything around Jonah is obeying God, and Jonah's the very man that God spoke to, and he's ready to die? His life seems to have no value. He's angry. He's pouting. He's willing to give up his own life on the account of God's mercy and grace. It seems he has lost his ever-loving mind. It has been an emotional roller coaster for this prophet. And maybe in somehow, some way, you feel this morning kind of like Jonah in a way. You are on this same kind of emotional roller coaster. You're up, you're down. You see Jesus, you don't understand Jesus. Your life circumstances, oh, why God? Why this? Why that? You're angry with God. Why would you take my child? Why would you take my wife? Why would you take my husband? And you fail to realize that there is an eternal perspective and that God is a God of mercy and God is a God of grace and that every activity that God does does is based upon his goodness. We have to stop thinking about ourselves and rather trust that God is sovereign, that God is a good God, and every good gift that comes, comes from above. He is sovereign over your life. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And if he fails not to know that a sparrow falls to the ground, how much more does he care for you? Maybe you're up and maybe you're down. Maybe you're in and maybe you're out. Listen, God's mercy and grace can extend to anyone. And we should not let isolation come to ourselves. No, we should celebrate when God has mercy on our enemies. Should be the first answer in our psyche. Pray. We see the irritation of Jonah. Secondly, we see the isolation of Jonah. But thirdly, I want you to see we've looked at the issue of Jonah. The effect of what he has done, we see. And when we started in Jonah, we wanted to see the heart of Jonah, the heart issue of Jonah. Why did he not do these things? Yes, we want to be aware of, of the behavior so that when we see things in our own lives, we can say, hey, there's a problem. And now we, we are finally going to see the issue of Jonah's problem. Verse 9, then Jonah said, do you have good reason? Then God said to Jonah, sorry, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. And the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight, should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, for which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left hand, as well as many animals? The issue of Jonah is about to reveal itself. And God has begun with a question. Jonah, 
Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? Even to death, he says. He, he basically said, I have complete justification for being angry, but God's about to teach us his problem. You know what? He does not have the right. None of us have the right to be angry with God. Why, you may ask? Because he is God. You are not. When does the clay speak back to the potter? Listen, God is good. And if God is good and God is sovereign, he is sovereign over your life and he is good. Whatever you are going through this morning, God is allowing because it's best for you. And some of you are having a pity party. And God is allowing you to walk through the circumstances for which you are facing to draw you back to Him. Even if it may fail to look good, God seems to always have a way of turning that which is evil into something good. I met with a young lady last night with some friends, and she gave a testimony of losing her nine-year-old son in an ATV accident. And she got angry with God. I mean, put yourself in her shoe. Why, God, would you take my child? the one, my child whom I love and care for. And as she worked through that, and about a year later, God, God brought her clarification of what he was doing. God provided her a husband and friends to surround her and care for her. And now she's established a scholarship fund and able to express to the world the joy that her son brought to her life and now is able to impact others. Sometimes when bad things happen, we, we, we want to think God is bad. But let me remind you, God is a good God even in the midst of tragedy. Whatever you're going through in life this morning, God can turn that which is bad to good. At what point in life does the clay have the right to answer back to its maker? Listen, he says you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Jonah, you didn't plant the plant. You didn't work the plant. You didn't cause it to grow. God says, I did. And you had compassion on something you didn't create and compassion on something that doesn't even have a soul. You see, folks, listen real close. 
turn me up, tune me in, wake up, because this is something each and every one of us need to hear, not just in this chat room, but across the globe, across this nation, America. When the human race, when we as the human race begin to have more compassion for plants and animals of this world than we do human life, we have a problem, folks. When we start worshiping the creation instead of the creator, we have a problem. When we start having more compassion for a plant than we do people, we got issues as a nation and as a human race. We've seen an increase in this in our day. You don't see starving kids on TV anymore, do you? What do you see? Starving animals. Now, listen, I love dogs and cats. Don't, don't misrepresent what I'm saying. But the reality is this. You don't see people driving up to poverty-stricken places delivering a person, but rather pets. You don't see people fighting and spending millions of dollars to protect human life. You see people trying to protect trees. Do you recall the book of Matthew, chapter 12? Jesus is talking about the Sabbath. Departing from here, he went to the synagogues. Verse 10, and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they asked the question, Jesus asked, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath they, so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it up? Verse 12, how much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? Listen to what this article says from 2014. America spent an all-time high of $55.7 billion on their pets last year. And a spending that will creep close to $60 billion in 2015. An industry spokesman person said, listen to the report in 2017. Total U.S. pet industry expenditures in 2017 was $69.5 billion was spent on our pets for the U.S. And in 2018, it was estimated $72.13 billion would have been spent, spent on pets. Pets across America live like humans these days. But know, know this, as long as people treat them that way, pet spending could climb, said the president and CEO, to over $72 billion. Now, interestingly enough, when we look back at Jonah, God has compassion on the people, and he also mentions the animals. We, as stewards of this world, are called to be good stewards of our animals. The U.S. federal government spent 
$1.4 trillion conserving threatening and endangered species in 2010. Care net budget. That's, that's a pro-life organization that protects infants in the womb. Their budget, $6.2 million. And as far as I could tell, there was no federal funding to protect the sanctity of life. Don't let the media drive your understanding of value. Listen, Galatians 1.15 says, But when God, whom had set me apart from my mother's womb, called me through His grace, was pleased. When does life begin? My friends, it begins at conception. Who's endangered? Listen, let's see. During the Holocaust, somewhere between 11 and 17 million people were killed. During World War II, over 60 million people were killed due to war. 1.6 million babies are aborted in the U.S. every year per day. That's 4,383 per hour. That's 183 per minute. There are three. By the time I'm done preaching this sermon, there will at least have been an hour where there's over 180 babies aborted. Who's endangered? Pets or people? Within this two and a half hours that we've been here over the uh, an entire service as we speak and as we talk, there would have been somewhere around an enormous, shameful number of aborted children. Since Roe versus Wade, there have been over 50 million children aborted. Yet we invest some $100 million in wolf reintroduction. Yet what do we do? We say, oh, let's, let's get conservatives in the White House. You, you remember when the Republican Party had the, the Senate? And what'd they do? Nothing. What action do we take? Do you support your local pregnancy network center? You know, January 16th, the sanctity of life. And we at Family Bible Fellowship will pass out baby bottles and we'll raise funds to protect kids in the womb, to provide for our local network so that they can give, you know, uh, images of children in the womb and how to convince parents to keep their kids instead of abort them. Listen, I understand that there's people who hate me for this message. I don't care. We need the help of God. We need God to intervene because you you know what? We want to we we think Nineveh should be upset with or or Jonah should be upset with Nineveh. We ought to be losing our ever-loving mind over what's happening in this nation alone when it comes to the unborn children who are being murdered. God is growing, working, and preparing people in Nineveh 
And so God says to Jonah, should I not have compassion on Nineveh? The great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their difference between their right hand and their left hand, as well as many animals. Listen, I'm not saying that we shouldn't concern ourselves with animals in the environment. We're called to be good stewards. But when we are killing babies that are unborn and they were saying they're not life, and now in New York City and places, they're saying it's okay up to 36 weeks. And yet we spend millions and millions and trillions and billions of dollars on endangered species. Yeah, that makes me angry. And I pray for those people. I pray for those persons' salvation. Jonah, you should have been more worried about the people than the plant. There are over 120,000 souls that don't know their right hand from their left hand. You could better translate this. Uh, there, there are children than people. Jonah has missed it. So many people today miss the value that God places on their life. And all we're doing in America is a legalized holocaust. Listen, God loves His creation. He loves humans. You were created uniquely in the image of God with intrinsic value. He knew you before you were formed in the womb. And He sent His Son to die to forgive us all, to those who would believe the gospel. Listen, at some point, the roller coaster will stop, and each of us will give an account. Listen, I know life is a roller coaster for many, but God knows when you're up, and God knows when you're down, my friend. God is right there to bring you through whatever valley you are in and whatever peak you're at. He is there to guide you through it all, but you must trust in Him. Not trusting in man, not in trusting in modern day literature, not trusting in the philosophies of our day, not trusting in understanding what's happening in our culture and knowing what's coming next. No, no, no. God is sovereign. God's in control. God has a plan. You will not thwart the plan of God. We must trust God. And if we trust God, then we can accomplish what God has called us to do, and that is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to go into the highways and byways and preach the good news, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that whoever believes will be saved. God is with you, my friends. Don't run. God is not blinded by our murder. God's grace covers murder if we stop and repent and turn back to God. Like Nineveh, if we as a nation turn to God, which will begin with you and me repenting of our sins and turning to God and doing it, that will begin the process of God relenting because I can promise you God's going to pour out His wrath and His judgment against America. He has to. He will not be mocked. But God can forgive the greatest sinner. Listen, 
I've made mistakes in my life. But I am a changed man. Sin is sin and will always be sin. And if God can give me peace, and God can give me comfort, and God can give me joy, because I'm a child of God, born again from above, trusted in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then today you can come and receive the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. But I promise you that comfort and that joy and that peace only comes through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Listen, if you've sinned, God will forgive you and restore you with the joy in Christ if you'll simply confess your sins and turn to God. Would you do that today? Maybe you're here. Maybe somebody invited you. You just happened to step across the channel. Maybe you found it from someone else. And you need Christ today. Call on him. For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. You must receive Christ today. Now is the appropriate time. Today is the day of salvation. Call on him. Forgive me, Lord Jesus, for I have sinned against you and believe the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ was enough to save you from your sin. And if you'll put your faith in Christ today, you will begin to walk. And God will begin to grow, to fashion you. And you will begin to live a life that will honor God. And you will begin to live a life that produces fruit, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, for which none of these there's a law against. So today is the day for which you can put your faith in Jesus. And when he comes to take up residence in you, he will do a magnificent work for his glory. Father, we thank you for this day. We ask you bless it, you use it, and that you be glorified. And we ask these things in the mighty and precious name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.